Hello everybody and welcome to episode 87 of the Hunger for the Hustle podcast. My guest today, Brenna, a really good old mate of mine. We've been back and forth on this for a while and I'm glad to have you here with me today, mate. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good to see you again, Jake. You good? Yeah, I'm very well, mate. Very well. Paul is Good. from. Sorry, I've got to stop using the word Paul because no one knows. <laughs> Only you. Brenna, Brenna is from Tamworth, which is about 10 minutes from where I'm from, Sutton Coldfield in Birmingham. We've been friends for many years from when I used to do events and promotions and being in those same circles. Brenna has been running events and festivals for more than 20 years and is someone who just brings positivity, great energy, and lots of fun to everything he touches and is a part of. Not only that, Paul is someone who likes to help other people. I said it again. I'm going to stop saying it. Not only that, Brenna is someone who likes to help others and is involved in various charitable projects and created the Hive, created the Hive Foundation, a community hub of health and wellness, and also currently serves as a counsellor for his local constituency in Tamworth, a man with a whole lot of hunger for the hustle, and I'm looking forward to diving into it and no doubt sharing some old stories uh, of our of our party years, which um, are far from over yet, but they're a little bit on ice, aren't they, at the moment, Paul? We were just, uh, Brenna, sorry, we were just talking about that. Yeah, they are. They're um, obviously uh, we're no different over here in the UK, but I'm, I'm glad you pointed about where Tamworth was. It's not the Tamworth just just north of Sydney. Uh, it is actually yeah. Tamworth back in back in the UK. I wish I was back in Sydney. Uh, I lived there between '99 and '01. I was there for the Millennium and for the Olympics, so I had a, a fantastic two years in Australia. But uh, as you say, no, it, it's Tamworth in the UK, and uh, we obviously, like all countries, are a, a victim of the. Uh, current pandemic and certainly my industry my my living is is in events and hospitality and um, yeah it's been a very very traumatic and um, disturbing sort of 12 months really it's been really hard it's been really hard I know it's interesting because I was talk, talking to a friend of mine the other day Gen Z who runs his a events production manager here and got his own events production company here in Melbourne and of course, things have started to gradually, slowly pick up here. The government has actually taken notice of the fact that the event industry has been struggling so much and will continue to because, of course, it's the one industry that's immediately impacted, impacted by any changes that the government puts out. The government says, OK, look, we, we're now going to, uh, I'm just using round numbers, 10, 15 people per per square area or square meter and that immediately changes the whole plan of the event and the structure of how it's going to look um but so let's, let's rewind back from that a bit Brenna, and, and tell us how you yeah. actually got started in the event industry all those many moons ago how i started my hustle so uh yeah so me going back my, my how you, how you started? <laughs> so so going back my uh my immediate CV really was um, I, I used to be an operations manager for a, for a bank in the UK, NatWest. Um, and I think that wasn't really me. Um, and I always had uh, a job on the side working in bars and clubs and um, really enjoyed that. And I kind of got headhunted to go into uh, bar management, which I did. Uh, ended up working for a national company as a, a troubleshooting manager for them. Um, and then that then led me to go into Australia for a couple of years, which we just touched on. Uh, but then when I came back from Australia, 
uh, I was uh, asked to come and run a, a bar for a, a family friend, which I did for a while. Uh, and then I ended up opening up my own bar, uh, which turned into uh, a, a club with a later license. And we were we were a house music bar club and we, we attracted uh, lots of big names, sort of house music DJs. And that then quickly sort of grew into three clubs in the UK. Uh, and then we were kind of hit by the recession in 07 to 09. And coming out of 09, um, through through a series of sort of meeting DJs, we we set up a clubbing brand called Secret Party Projects, which you're obviously very familiar with and, and came to a few of those. And that was a experiential clubbing brand and doing parties in unusual locations. So we started doing those in stately homes and mansions and castles and basically uh, the most unusual spaces that were non-typical or, or what you wouldn't believe would the authorities and the police and and the regulatory authorities would would allow to happen but we had a we had a very skilled and very experienced and knowledgeable team around us we put on really good safe uh sort of clubbing events and raves and in bus depots all kinds of things so so that was uh that was how how it kind of started and then from there uh, i grew into uh, another brand that i set up called forbidden forest that i created and that was doing um, sort of music events in a in a in a wooded uh, woodland area, um, and then I evolved my 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 skills that I've developed. Uh, sort of took me into doing experiential sort of Halloween events, uh, winning awards for doing that sort of thing, um, big orchestral events similar to the sort of tours that Pete Tong does with his uh, orchestra, which I, I believe he's been over in Sydney and um, in Australia and done. So, uh, so we played at some amazing locations in the UK, like the Birmingham Symphony Hall, which has got the most acoustic, um, acoustically perfect venue in the UK. Um, and we we basically always did something a little bit different to how it's normally been done. And uh, and that's what that's my ethos for everything I've always done. Really, that's my hustle, always to do things. Uh, and I, I guess it's what I call my agency, Extra Humongous, always do something bigger and better than probably what it's uh, been done before or or how anybody else has done it and we, we put our own spin on it and and that's kind of the journey really from owning bars putting on events and club nights in bars to then setting up club nights to then doing uh clubbing brands uh, and it's just grown from there so it's been a it's been a long long journey i think you said 20, 20 odd years of doing big yeah. events and even in the last couple of years we've been doing um uh, a festival uh, which we did in 2019 which we nominated at the uk festival awards so again to go to a, an award ceremony at the troxy in london where you sit next to glastonbury and key key um you know key industry uh icons really in, in the event management and festival industry and uh obviously last year we were really excited because that was going to be year two of our festival and then that was cancelled because of the pandemic we then went on to see if we could deliver some kind of safely distanced event and um and then we were unfortunately we had to we had to cancel that so yeah i mean the, the 20 years has been uh, an absolute sort of uh, ride of uh, of real sort of fun um hard work but again doing something that you really love it doesn't as you know it doesn't seem like work it's just uh, you know it's been fantastic but the last 12 months uh, not only the you know the the, the pandemic and not being able to do the things that we want to do uh it, it's been really 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 tough but um mm. yeah so that's the journey really that's the journey right when you started when you were running the bars and you got the first club did you have this vision 
that you uh, wanted to have your own agency and, you know, maybe have multiple clubs and, and go on to run, you know, events at a bigger scale? Or did it just kind of play out as it, as it went on? I think it just, uh, it, it definitely played out. Um, it, I definitely never opened up bars and clubs thinking that I was going to be a big um, club promoter, event organiser, festival owner. Um, it was very much a, an evolutionary sort of pro, you know, progress or um, journey. And um, it just, I guess it was, it genuinely was that hustle. You, you're looking for opportunities and when you get yourself into, um, into situations, uh, other bigger situations and because you're delivering something of a you know of a premium sort of quality you you get noticed you know that led to doing uh consultancy work for the ministry of sound um it led to all kinds of consultancy work uh it led to owning a couple of record labels it led to working with some big djs it led to working with some high profile sports people putting on private events as well so you know really i think once you once you get known or uh, become a little bit notorious, and we, I th certainly, again, going back to secret party projects and the the mansion parties, you know, we were we were known as the mansion party boys, and uh, you know, th there was nothing around at the time. I know, sort of in years gone past, um, you know, clubbing brands had done that sort of thing, but certainly, mm -hmm. you know, 20, 2010, I mean, we, I think six six weeks before the event, we put out a, um, you know. Again, this was really before social social media was what it was now. You know, the the capability to um, to attract people, to promote, certainly to an audience starting from sort of ground zero, uh, was was very difficult. Um, but we but we did, and and I think word went round, and we we had this massive big stately home in uh, basically between Nottingham, Derby, and and Leicester, and it, it was a stunning stately home, and it was in it was a summer saturday the weather was beautiful and the next thing you knew we were there expecting just a couple of hundred people to turn up and and coaches are turning up from everywhere and people are just walking down the drive it was it was a bit it like wayne and garth it was like wayne and garth in wayne's world it was it was like them <laughs> and they shall come and people just come and they were coming and they were coming and and i think we had like 1500 people there of really like-minded clubbers house music fans and the party was spectacular and the, the owner the, the owner of the mansion was just he loved it and he said let's do it again so yeah. uh, i think I, th I think it was uh it was two months to halloween and um so we, so we did halloween and i think we had about three thousand people in uh for halloween and we had a you imagine this stately home with a with a big ghost train outside you know a fun fair. i don't need to imagine it i was there um, you were there, um, I was there. <laughs> we, we had loads of room different rooms inside the mansion um i know remember you were you were really good friends with guys from the spin and and, uh, and those guys and yeah. rock and roller and all them and they we they hosted a, a room in the uh, in the gymnasium and we we made it amazing and then again the, the owner went that was amazing let's do let's do new year's eve and then eight weeks later we had five thousand people there for our third party and it was just and then it just went from there and um you know to doing halloween in castles to doing uh bus depots and and yeah it was we did a versace mansion we did obviously it led us to doing sort of parties and, and tours of ibiza working with some brands and things like that it led to 
a couple of record labels that we worked with some really talented musicians and some some people that went on to make it really big people like karen hardin we did some tracks with her um who uh, went on to work with um she, you know she's she's fantastic vocalist um but again it was as you say it was it was hustling and it was looking at the opportunities but it was being ambitious and determined to to uh, seize those opportunities and, and make something of them and it was great yeah and i suppose a little bit of fortuitousness in the fact of the people you meet along the way and the people who share your vision with you and are also hardworking and dedicated and think and you like you know you form partnerships you know the things that you just touched on there the secret party project you can't do something like that by yourself it takes a big team of people at the top level and then you need a lot of people involved in the production and then the actual you know physical work the labor work of getting everything done particularly in, in a huge mansion like that with lots of different rooms it's like, it's like okay we're going to do a party in the gym now on the face of it that seems cool we'll pick a theme for the room we'll see what brand's going to run it you've actually physically got to get all the equipment out of the gym you've got to rig all the lighting up you've got to do and of course it's you've got you're dealing with thousands of people here so of course there's uh, health and safety stuff you've got to abide to as well and then there's the other end of it which is you know something I, I used to help you with and did for the halloween party which is the promoters you know actually getting the people into the parties and um it takes a lot of people to make stuff like that happen and, and you've got to meet people along the way that share that vision and are as hard working as you. It, it does and, and I think I think touched on something really pertinent there. I think I think the development of those skills um, to be able to execute good safe events like that and that led again looking at opportunities, how we evolved as uh, industry um, people and then sort of a few years later we're then a part of a team delivering uh, Leicester Carnival with 150,000 people and street closures. You know, we we delivered an arena in uh, Glastonbury for three years on the trot. We in Shangri La, so we built a massive big arena. Um, you know, 15 people, 1,500 man hours, building this club that held sort of just under a thousand people, and then running it for um, for you know for five nights. I was a licensee at Glastonbury, so to be mm. a part of that and to see things. And to be able to execute and test your skills in the most testing of circumstances, to turn up at Glastonbury when there's just glass, uh, sorry, grass, not glass, uh, just grass <laughs> and, uh, and a couple of cows. And then, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a week and a half later, you've got a thousand people stood in this arena that you've built. It's, um, it's amazing. So those, are, you know, those memories and testing yourself to that degree. Uh, you know, you, you really understand the, the, you know, the skill and the, the high quality work that you can deliver and that that makes you really proud certainly winning awards for what you do in the industry as well is always nice not to be recognized by your peers um for what you do so yeah no yeah. it's been great absolutely and I, i'll share that with you mate that that there's something about and i found it i worked in construction i still do a little bit now in construction i did for many years but just seeing a blank canvas you get it the same when it's it's just something you see whether it's a patch of grass whether it's a bare room or you know it could be a bathroom a kitchen and just seeing the blank canvas, creating something, and then watching people enjoy that space. There's some yep. kind of just magic in that. It's hard to point to words. I work, uh, did some work at a festival here called Rainbow Serpent Festival, and they allow people to do their own theme camps. And our theme camp was a psychedelic cinema. And I'd rock up there a week before in 20, anything from 26, 27, up to 35 degree heat. And we would build our, our camp and then on the last night they'd let us have a little after party when the festival had shut down and just the feeling of standing back on that last night and just 
and you know, mate, you've done it so many times, just watching everyone enjoy themselves and be like, yeah, me and my team created this. There's just, yeah. it's, a, it's a, so much satisfaction in that. It's, it, it's right. I mean, we, again, I did, I did it three years ago. I did a, um, one of my brands, yeah, obviously I've got Sacred Pie Projects. I've got uh, Secret Cinema. Uh, sorry, Secret Symphony, Higher House, and I've got a brand called Scare Projects, and we do uh, experiential uh, Halloween events. And you again, you, you'll remember the Halloween events that we did within Secret Party Projects, but we then evolved that concept to do standalone Halloween events. And three years ago, uh, certainly a venue you'll be familiar with, the Botanical Gardens in Birmingham, and we did a uh, we did a scare maze uh, around the gardens, and it was a, an outdoor event. And again, uh, I think I think we had six weeks to promote it, and we sold it out fifteen thousand people uh, going round, and and we won an award for um, best new scare attraction in the UK. You know, we was up against some really really established and very amazing um halloween experiences in the uk and we won this award in our first year and it was it was amazing but the the creative process to deliver it in that six weeks to sell it out to create it to theme it to to build it you know and again the team and the people involved in that it, it's amazing and that whole process uh it, it's so rewarding and and so enjoyable you know i'm very blessed very lucky to be involved and and to carry out projects that um i'll pick and choose really you know i, I deliver projects that i want to do and um and then i'll give you know my whole heart and soul to it and uh and thankfully you know we've been very successful in what we do yeah yeah i think if you know if you if you do what you love and you love what you do one it never feels like work and two you you find a lot of joy in it and i think that's one of the real secrets it's, it's not really a secret but it's one of the, like the keys to life that if you just find joy in your work and you never feel like you're working and you enjoy it every day and it's just perpetual and, and before you know it you're you're part of something that's fantastic that not only you enjoy that other people enjoy and everyone who's part of it enjoys it too now i guess in the events industry when you're trying to spread joy and cheer and and bring people together i mean that's exactly what you're going to get in being a part of it so it's uh, it's a self-fulfilling kind of thing but it's not for yourself, if you know what I mean. It's it's a funny one, Jake. Really, I always people always used to say to me, "What what do you enjoy the most out of what you do?" And mm. and and obviously, you you're always within any project you do. In obviously, you've got your, your key objectives and, and what you're trying to achieve, and whether that is you know you're delivering a festival and you've got a number of tickets to sell, or you're doing an event, or or there's a creative output that you need to achieve. Um, but for me, the, the thing that I always enjoyed and I do on every single project, doesn't matter what it is, it's seeing the the pictures and the video after and seeing people enjoy themselves. And if you've created something that you see people enjoying themselves so much, that's when, you know, that realisation of what you've done and what you've achieved and that, that then is when it all kind of comes home, really. Yeah, it all comes together. <clears throat> now... One thing I want to touch on because you mentioned it before is that you actually um, purchased a pub last year, didn't you? In the middle yeah. of in the middle of uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Which see the thing about the pandemic is I, I found that it was full and is still and will continue to be full of opportunities. You know, an optimist is a, a, a an optimist sees an opportunity in every calamity. 
whereas a pessimist sees a calamity in every opportunity. And I think last year, if you kept your eyes open, there was a lot of opportunities to be seized, of course, you know, um, good times for some, not so good times for others, but opportunities and all of that for everyone. And I guess you saw an opportunity there to, to, to get hold of a pub and it was probably something you wanted to do for a while, was it? Yeah, I, th I think um, I think it's one of my cheesy sayings. I think it's um, you know you got the you got the glass that's either um, you either see it as half empty or half full, and I always see a glass that's overflowing. It's not even there. You go, that's overflowing to me. I see that as overflowing, and um, and obviously as I said earlier, from coming from uh, owning bars and clubs in the past, I guess it it was always in me and. Uh, I guess I wanted to have uh, an operation that was probably a little bit more grown up or a little bit more, um, you know, a bit more foodie, a bit more drinky, a bit crafty. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I've been offered uh, a venue uh, some time ago and uh, I've got that much going on and uh, it wasn't the right time. And then the opportunity re-arose and um, we'd had a few meetings and we sat down on the Wednesday when they shut the pubs down on the Friday in the UK, and then um, we were meant to be going in on the Monday. So essentially it was then twiddling our thumbs for a good sort of six months. Uh, in the interim, I, I delivered a project for a, a big brewery in the UK. I, I opened up uh, a pub for them and, and that was a very much uh, a two month project. Uh, but then I managed to open up my pub in August on the bank holiday in the UK. And um, we knew it was going to be a challenge. We knew it was going to be difficult, but we were quite prepared to, um, you know, to to work with the guidelines that COVID was obviously uh, presenting to us with the safe distancing and, and the table service and all those things that obviously we were, um, you know, having to abide by. Uh, but then obviously things things got worse and the restrictions got tougher and the tears then started to fall in. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, and then obviously come November and, and the pub had to shut down, like all pubs in the UK, and and, and we're still shut now. So it's mm. it's difficult. It's difficult, um, no doubt. And it's interesting because when we were in when when they did the very strict lockdown in Melbourne here, which was kind of let's say it was. April, May, June, July, kind of came out of it somewhere in August. It was, you know, a good four or five months there. And it was like, that was almost a snapshot. And then it was interesting because everyone in the UK, the lockdown wasn't in there and everyone was having fun. I'll be speaking to people back home. Like, Damn you, you're out there having fun. And it's summertime and we're all locked down. And then the whole thing turned completely on its head. You know, you guys had Christmas and then very soon after that went into lockdown. And then, of course, it's summertime here. You know, there's no joy for me to be found in that either way. Lockdown is a crap thing for everyone. It's a very testing time. It's a very tough time, particularly for people that live alone or don't, you know, see people or certainly live with other people, you know, because essentially you've got anyone else that's in your bubble, which yeah. sometimes be a very small group of people. Um, and it's been a tough time for everyone, but I think it's been a time for a lot of people where they've had that time to realize when they're away from a lot of things and other people, what things and other people do they actually need and what things can they actually let go of? Um, and the reason I mentioned this in, in the kind of context as a pub, I'm like, I wonder how many people have found themselves not being able to go to the pub every day, having a bit more money in their pocket and probably feeling a bit hit, fitter, fitter and healthier for it. 
One thing's for sure, though, and I've seen it play out here in Melbourne, is that when there's venues and pubs open back up, they are rammed all the time. People cannot wait to socialise, you know. It's it's human nature. We're tribal people and we like hanging out together and, and having fun <clears> together <throat> and exchanging and interacting. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously it's a tough time for you right now, but you can be sure as the sun rising when the pub opens back up and it's <laughs> going to be sick. And I know, you know, you're talking to me off camera about some of the plans you've got, um, you know, extra humongous, nothing, nothing stays still in your world, everything's in a constant uh, evolution and I know that's not just going to be a pub, there's going to be a few other things that you're putting on the side and on, and on top of it, so uh, I wish you all the best with it, mate, I'm sure it'll go very well for you. Well, when you're back in the UK, mate, there there will be a, a, a pint of warm British beer on the bar for you. I can guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you see your uh, your schooner news and your BBs and your um, what did I like when I was over there? Your little cherubs, I think, was one of my favourite boutique beers cherubs. over there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but no, it's 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 exciting because I almost feel like we've we literally opened the door, gave everybody a little glimpse of of what. The potential of the of the pub is, and uh, there's a there's an opportunity to build uh, and um, develop five uh, ensuite rooms upstairs. So a little boutique hotel. There's some outbuildings. Uh, the food is is amazing. Obviously, you know, we, we started doing. We did a comedy night. We did um, we did two comedy nights actually, which were which were great and sold out. So again, it, it's again. It's like I said to you earlier. You know, I'm not just a, a glass that's overflowing. I'm I'm like a coil coiled spring. You know, there's there's just so much that we want to do, and then that hopefully will be a catalyst. You know, I'm in talks with uh, some key partners to uh, to open up a chain of uh, of pubs, and um, you know, they, I see this very much as a as a, a development site to uh you know as a test site to to do the sort of things that we want to do and um i think it's really exciting with the, with the plans that we've got and once again you know coming out of the the lockdown the opportunities that will present themselves i think there'll be masses of opportunities to to get hustling again jake and um and i really want to uh, i really want to do a, a chain of pubs and you know if you look at what i think are real industry sort of leaders who, who are fantastic you know chains like brew dog and what they're doing industry sort of disruptors and and what they've done and what they've brought to the industry um you know i look at those and they're, they're real inspirations to the sort of things that i want to achieve over the next sort of uh, couple of years so that's the sort of direction that i want to go in as well with the the festivals the events and and everything that i'm doing I'm really keen and passionate to work with the partners that we've and the team that we've put together uh, to create a, a chain of, uh, of sort of, you know, real nice uh, pubs that I think are, you know, just right for, for today's modern age. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, it always, the feel and vibe of things always changes and uh, I'm going to kind of shift over from that to ask you about challenges in the events career. Of course, we're presented with a lot at the moment. But you said back there, you know, you went through, you know, 2007, 8, 9 was a tough year for everyone as well, global financial yeah. crisis. How do you kind of compare that between then and and now? And, the, and like, how does that kind of compare? Um, I think only in the way that if either of them hadn't come along, I'd be having a fleet of Ferraris by now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I am... Um, I think it's a really it's a really good question, and uh, now having gone through both, in in all seriousness, um, mm. 
re- really similar and uh, equally as as devastating. You know, the 0709 uh, financial crisis. Um, I had a cleaning company at the same time as well, a contract cleaning company. So I was on multiple sites uh, with some major UK house builders. Um, I was working with some big pub groups who, uh, and we were doing the, the cleans for their um, uh, refurbished venues. Um, I had teams of cleaners all over the UK. It was it was a fantastic uh, time. And then all of a sudden, everything just went overnight. My cleaning business, my clubs, we managed to keep the clubs going, but um, you know they were literally just limping in, in limp mode, really. Um, you know They weren't growing, they were just ticking over. And we were we were having to work round the clock and really hard just to keep them keep doors open and, and not go under. Um, and that was that was really tough work. And that was uh, you know like all of us, we we're not scared of hard work at all. That's what we do. But um, you know to to work under those conditions, uh, basically fighting for survival was was really tough. You know it was a really really tough two years. And I think looking back on it now, it's it, it's amazing because. It was two or three years, whereas this has only been sort of 12 months uh, of the pandemic. Uh, but it just see, it seems so much longer because we've all been locked in houses or we've been in isolation or in quarantine. So even though it's only been 12 months, I think it, it's a very, very, a very intense 12 months. And yeah. cer- certainly for me, um, last year I had a magnificent year planned out with all my events, my festivals, the pubs opening. Um, lots of consultancy work. I do a lot of freelance consultancy work to the industry, and there were some very exciting projects developing with those. And I was really, really excited about last year and, and what that would bring. And then for that all to effectively just drop off a cliff was, was you know, um, you certainly understand, and, and I'm sure we'll go on to talk a little bit in a moment about uh, the High Foundation and mental health and all those sort of things. But, you know, to really understand um how such circumstances can have such crippling effects not only business-wise but on on people's sort of health and minds and everything it's um it's really something to be conscious and caring and compassionate and understanding about because you know the last 12 months you know strength of character and you know not everybody is as positive as me and and even you know the, the things that i've done in the last 12 months with, with charities and 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 food uh projects to help people in in the pandemic those are the sort of things that kept me going and and I, I do often you know reflect and think if i hadn't have had those things you know how would i have got through the last 12 months really you mm. know it's um it very very easily turned into some very dark times for people and you know, my, my heart does go out to people who, through no fault of their own, are, are having to battle through the um, the current current pandemic. It, it's tough. It's tough. I agree with you more, mate. My heart goes out to all them people as well who are finding it tough right now. You know, there's people out there who've lost their friends, lost their family members, you know, lost their loved ones, lost their jobs, you know, which yeah. perhaps isn't as serious, but still, you know, still devastating. Uh, it's been a difficult time for a lot of people. And, and like you said, you know, I am a positive person too, always have been. Well, I say always have been, that's not too much true. I suppose someone taught me how to be positive in my early 20s, and once I was that way, I found that it's just the best way to be. But I am completely like you, you know, I'm I'm empathic, I'm compassionate, I understand that not everyone thinks like I do, and not everyone can, and, and maybe um, some people just don't want to, it's just not the way that they are, you know, and, and you have to have an allowance for that. But uh, I know you are a positive person, and of course you've, 
manage to remain positive throughout all of these challenges in your life. I dare say, you know, I'm sure you would still be here if you hadn't, but it wouldn't have been as easy for you. So how do you how do you manage that? How do you how do you manage to kind of stay positive in the face of adversity? Um, really good question. I, I think it I think it's obviously inbuilt. Uh, it's obviously some kind of DNA uh, existence within me that just kind of keeps driving me. Uh, you know, um, whether that's for success or whether that's sort of personal um goals whether it be you know i run a lot you know which i find really useful for sort of freeing my mind and uh i've ran for sort of years and i find that really really useful uh so i'm um, i guess i've got a little bit of an uh, obsessive uh personality really um and you know everything that i do i want to give it my best and and you know, go on to be as successful as I can and, and deliver the best that I possibly can. And I think that's what drives me. It's that personal drive and ambition to just do the best and, and be the best that you possibly can, whether that is in your business, um, in your businesses or whether that's personally. And I'm finding what I've done the last 12 months to, you know, it's it's been great to be able to help so many people. And, and because of the pandemic and not being able to do my core business that's given me the opportunity to do some charitable stuff and and i set up a, a food um pandemic response last year where we were delivering food parcels to people in self-isolation which then that evolved into post-lockdown uh, a project called the drop shop project so we got some shipping containers and put those down and we were helping people in food poverty and families who were really in need and child hunger um so running that managing the volunteers sorry to cut across you there but i didn't know you were actually behind that because my sister messaged me and she goes oh, i've just given some money to these guys and this is what they do they drop food parcels to people who are you know less fortunate in the pandemic so mate fantastic great work good on you for that yeah so we so we've done that and you know uh, i think touching on what you were saying earlier you know i've delivered food parcels and sat in my car after and and witnessed you know the the um the conditions and and the personal circumstances that the people are in that i'm delivering food parcels to and uh, you know i felt the tears roll down my cheeks it, it's heartbreaking uh, and again you know there's people who 12 months ago were in good jobs and were in good place and were you know going on holiday and and really enjoying their lives and next thing you know they they can't afford to put food on the table and yeah you know, to, you know and and you know, you take that across all of the UK, take it across the world. But, you know, to be able to have helped as many people as I possibly can in the last 12 months, that's been that's been really uh, humbling. And, and, and that's been a really um, it's been an amazing project for me to be able to do and help those people. So and again, I, I think we, we were talking uh, that kind of sorry if I'm stealing your thunder about being a counsellor. I've, I've been a counsellor for the last 18 months. Uh, I don't mean sitting you down on the couch and talking to your kind of counsellor i've been a i've been a, a local political counsellor uh and again that's me just and again my ethos and the way i just want to make i want to help tamworth as a, as a local town and conurbation and for it to be the best possible place it can be and if i can help and influence and, and have some positive impact on that, that that's what i want to do so again that takes up a, a large chunk of my time as well i'm involved in a lot of working groups and um yeah i'm very passionate about um people um 
you know contributing and giving something back and uh if i can do that over the next few years and tam was at a very exciting stage locally and and um we've just won a load of uh money the 22 million pound for a future high street uh regeneration project and it's a very exciting time to be so if i can leave some kind of legacy or or have some impact on that for future generations then um you know i'll be i'll be very proud of that i'm absolutely sure of it mate i think you're already well underway with creating that legacy you know when you when you start to take your time and realize that with your time skills energy efforts and to some degree finances of course because that's what it takes right and, and you dedicate that to helping other people of course you're doing it for other people that's the main reason you do but you know it's it's a great thing to do it's an immoral thing to do and people say you know fantastic great job you know you do really well and that's all great but that's not what you do it for you do it because of the actual want and need to actually help and serve others you know it's something that comes from within not from without and it's something i share with you as well mate i'm involved with the charity called mission rainwater and we've installed over 80 rainwater tanks now for families that had them destroyed by bushfire and were left without water um it's, it's evolved to other things now but it's you know and it th there's there's another side to it as well in the background that i found that it when there's stuff going on in your life, you know, and we've all got stuff going on in our own lives, and particularly when business takes a hit and you're like, well, okay, I'm going to take some of that energy and some of that time that I won't be spending on this business or project, and I'm going to put it into this. And actually through helping other people, I've found it recharges your batteries. It brings your energy level back up because what you give out is exactly what you get back. And, you know, that's not always an immediate thing, and it's not always something you understand in the moment, but it, it comes, it does happen. It comes whether it's in hours, months, or years. You always get back what you put out. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jake. I think um, you know to be able to step back from you know your core business and what you do, and to be able to um, invest your your skills and your and your passion and your and your you know your love into helping other people. Um, and and it's amazing because obviously if the pandemic hadn't have happened, then obviously I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that. Um, mm. But again, it, it's opened up my eyes. It's enabled me to develop um, uh, a foundation that I've been looking at starting for the last couple of years. And I was due to actually start it at the start of last year. And again, something else that the pandemic um, uh, certainly hit uh, the development of. And that was uh, something called the High Foundation. And that was a, a social uh, social movement for social change, really. And again, focusing on mental health. And I guess it, it seemed like it was fate as if uh, we kind of knew what was coming and the sort of help that was going to be needed for society as a result of the pandemic. And whether you're taking that down into, uh, you know, children and the effects that it's had on children, um, mm. all, the, all the way up to, you know, cross multi-generational and uh, multi sort of demographic and ages and, you know, that, there's a lot of work that's going to be needed to be done and it's it's obviously driven me to get that set up that's going to be a um that's going to be a full charity very soon we're just going through all of that at the moment so again yeah it, it's enabled me just to diversify a little bit and to to use those skills to um to do those sort of things and you know that's i'm, I'm really glad that um that time has been afforded to me to be able to do that yeah yeah it's 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 interesting i thought about this and the pandemic and the amount of things that i was like i wouldn't have been able to do that if the pandemic hadn't hit maybe i perhaps some of the things i'm like look i can tell you one thing for sure we would not be speaking right now because i wouldn't have created the podcast if it wasn't for the pandemic you know i, yeah. I started doing 
I wanted to do a bit of public speaking. I've wanted to do that for years. I wanted to, you know, exuberate this this positivity that I have in me and share something outwards. And I found that the, the podcast led to being an outlet for that. And, and of course, it helps other people, which is in a kind of roundabout way while we're both here to share our stories and perhaps some other people can get some inspiration and some positivity from them. It's fantastic. But there was a plethora of things that really I crossed off my to-do list in the pandemic. And I'm like, yeah. Some of them, I just don't know how long they'd have been there for. Some of them, maybe we'd have never, never got ticked off. And I think that's a, an interesting angle and perspective to look at it from. That in this quiet time, you know, what are those things that perhaps you want to learn? That maybe even that you want to teach others. You know, that you've thought about for years, and you've always said, "Oh, I haven't got the time," or you know, "I don't have the energy," or really, you don't have the desire. Um, but at this quiet time, instead of just, you know, perhaps sitting on the sofa and thinking, uh, oh, uh, should I get some more Ben and Jerry's in there? Uh, you know, take take a to-do list and, and and dust it off and, and see what you can go for. I think, yeah, I think absolutely. I think it's driven by that uh, ultimately. I think it all comes down to one thing, and that's making people smile and making people happy, and whether that's them dancing on the dance floor, whether you, you know, you're, you're delivering some food to somebody that can't, you know, just being able to do something uh, that's selfless and, and helping people uh, or doing something for people, I, I think it's, it's a great thing to be able to do. And that, you know, that drives me, that motivates me. Uh, and that just keeps me going to continually do it for, for as long as I possibly can, really. Mm. And is that really what, what Brennan, what led you to becoming a counsellor? Because it's not something that everyone would think about doing is running for counsellor in their local constituency um yeah it's something that's a little bit certainly different for someone you know look, what i'm trying to say is it's not something you'd immediately connect with someone who's big into the events and the festival industry i think you're right i think um i'm probably the least typical counselor which you would <laughs> probably say uh you know t turning up for meetings in shorts and flip-flops and uh, <laughs> do you do that that's great yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, I see myself as a I see myself as a positive disruptor. You know, I just want to do good things. But I, I think I think there's probably a couple of people who come from uh, from our industry who who are notable. Uh, I think obviously one that's very uh, notorious, I guess, is somebody like Sasha from uh, from Park Life and the Warehouse Project. He's uh, he's a night time economy czar for Andy Burnham in Manchester. So again, I think I think for me that that shows the um the value that's placed on people from our industry and certainly their knowledge their understanding uh, how in touch they are with communities and with people and how we can communicate and and develop those um partnerships and those relationships on all levels really because i think i think you need people from that hospitality industry who have probably seen a little bit of the world understand the world uh, are a little bit true to themselves and a little bit true to life, and and I think that that benefits everybody in in all ways. Really, you know, I can I can add value on on so many different levels from from my experience of, of business and life and and being from an event in the hospitality industry. Uh, I think gives you those skills. So I think certainly again to reference sort of Sasha Lord and what he's doing uh, for Andy Burnham up in Manchester. I think there's a real need uh, to do that uh in in all kind of uh locations around the uk and I, i'd probably you know i'd urge mayors and and all kinds of authorities to 
to look for and reach out to people from from this industry because I think they can add real value on on a local sort of political sort of level. Really, um, there's a lot of value there, so um, that would be my recommendation. I've I've reached out to um, Andy Street, the mayor of Birmingham, again to uh, look at how. Um, he he could possibly use me and my experience and knowledge in in the industry you know there's some big key events coming up as you know like the commonwealth games um there's there's many sort of sporting events and certainly the development of the city and and obviously with hospitality uh leisure events festivals being such a big part of, of a of metropolises up and down the country i think to have somebody from the industry who knows that inside out who've got that understanding uh, I think it's very, very valuable, and I don't think those skills and knowledge are are resourced or tapped into enough. And I think if those are visionary enough and uh, brave enough to take that uh, sort of leap of faith to involve those sort of people in what they're doing politically, um, you know, in those kind of key uh, city areas, then I think they'll really benefit from it. Yeah, I think it's interesting how you how you broke that down because I initially said you know there are two things that you wouldn't think of that you put together, but actually, when you break it down, there it's just transferring the skills, right? You're a people's person. Yeah. You used to being around other people. You used to managing uh, large groups of people and effectively bringing them together and just being absorbed really in the community. And and as someone who's a constituent. Uh, of you know, uh, council, even wider look at parliament, things like that. That's really what you are. I mean, uh, some of the people in those positions seem to be sometimes quite far removed from that and not very in touch with the community. And I think that's why the younger generation, you know, poo poos them a lot and goes, Oh, you know, all that council stuff, all that parliament stuff, it's all a load of crap. I don't want anything to do with it because they don't feel connected to it because it needs more people like you who, at a real street level, are connected with them people and then people know you you know you're someone who's relatable someone they can you know they perhaps have even talked to or, oh yeah i know brother he owns, he owns the pub in town you know oh yeah i went to his event years ago it's fantastic it's actually really a transferable thing isn't it and uh it's, people need, it needs more people like that in them positions i think i think it's very transferable i think it's very uh <laughs> i think it makes a lot of sense it does create a lot of conflicts of interest sometimes because of, mm. of what you're involved with or what you do and it might not be seen as uh, as traditional you know it is a little bit out of the box and it is a little bit um a blue sky thinking there in, in for people to embrace that and encourage that and to to work with those kinds that way of thinking but i think once they do uh, i think they're only ever going to reap rewards and and certainly andy burnham has and i certainly think you know uh if you look at, uh, you know, certainly advisors that uh, prime ministers and, and key ministerial positions take on, uh, I think they're starting to be very receptive and understanding of where they draw their knowledge and their inspiration from and the people where they can, you know, get that from. So so I think we'll see more of that. Uh, and I think, you know, my me being a non-typical kind of councillor, certainly with my background and maybe the way I dress, the way I look, the way that, you know, my background and my certain industry, that, that may start to become a little bit more of the norm, maybe. You, you never know. A positive disruptor, mate. When you're a positive disruptor, you're going to disrupt things. And uh, look, hey, look, maybe you know, the old traditional ways, they work for a long time, but the world is, uh, the world's just changing so rapidly. I, I remember reading something the other day and it said, 
the, the change that we've seen in in kind of our lifetime, let's say, let's take the past kind of 40 years, has been more change than your previous three or four generations added together would have seen, just the, the rapid way that things have changed and the way people are just instantly connected now. I mean, you touched on it earlier. It was probably... I mean, Secret Party Project, that Halloween one, what year was that? I feel like it was 2012, 13, something like that. Um, so the first one was 2010. 10, okay. All right, so, yeah, yeah. so yeah. it would have been 2010, so, yeah, 11 years ago. And, I mean, just look at it then, the way, like, we were getting people to those gigs. Okay, there was a bit of Facebook, but it wasn't at an ad level. It was very light, and it was usually just word of mouth via Facebook. It was like, here's the event, here's the party, share it with your mates. And, like, I could go... Some mates, it's funny because I don't speak to them for years, and then I'm like, "How? How do I?" And you end up scrolling back through the chat, and you're like, "Oh yeah, they used to send me a list of 30, 40, 50 people every Thursday, Friday night, and that's how we used to do it. It was word of mouth, and yeah. Facebook was just a platform to do it from. It's, it's just changed so much now. It's you know the the organic reach has has really slowed down, and it's much more towards a a paid model, and and it being a lot more kind of shoved in your face for want of a better word and it's it's exciting i think because you're either you know there's there's people who are part of the change there's people who let it pass them by and then there's people who just watch it and i think if you're if you're not involved with it and in touch with it then it is going to pass you by and look that's fine if you don't want to be but if you are and you keep your finger on the pulse and you are involved in it then you're going to read the rewards from that and look you're a guy who does that and i just think the world needs more more people like that so that's 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 how I see that, and that's pretty much all I have to say about that. There's one more, there's one more question that I have for you, and it's okay. it has the title, it has the title of this podcast in it. Uh, in fact, now I'm going to give you some rapid fire ones at the end because uh, okay. they're, always, they're always good fun. But this next one, mate, we've mentioned the word hustle a few times. I'd love to know yep. like how you define it and what's driven your hunger for it over the years. I think how you define the hustle is is just never accepting no in in any way you know never accept no as an answer you know if you're if you're trying to achieve something if you've got a goal if you've got an ambition if you've got a desire to achieve something just keep going till you get there and you will there is no way nothing or nobody will ever deter you from achieving what you want to achieve so keep hustling and you will achieve it will happen Love it. Simple. Simple answer to a pretty simple question, really. Yeah. It's about belief and, and, and never accepting no as an answer. All right, rapid fire questions. I'm just going to pick these off the top of my head. If you were stuck on a desert island, what were the three things you would need with you? Uh, definitely my flip flops. <laughs> uh, uh, definitely uh, a device with lots of quality house music on. Oh yeah, and and I would uh, and beer, beer, nice mate, like it. Do you believe in aliens? No. Do you believe in ghosts? Yeah. No, although I have had an experience which I cannot explain, and I do believe it was one, but I don't believe in them. So that's a little bit of a a crazy answer. It wasn't at Tamworth Castle, was it? Uh, it was very near to there. It was probably within. It was probably within about two hundred yards of the castle. And it was when I actually came back from Australia, and I was running the uh, the bar from a 
for the family friends and they got this very old uh, bar it was called uh, Baldrick's and it was a very very old Tudor building and uh, everybody had gone it was about three o'clock in the morning I was waiting for my taxi to come it was two floors and I'd, I'd heard people say it was um, haunted I didn't again you asked me the question I said I wasn't a non-believer uh, mm. but I was sat there and all of a sudden I heard footsteps above my head and it was as clear as light as day. There, there was no other explanation for anything else. So to that end, I don't believe in them, but something happened that night that I cannot explain. Cannot explain. Favourite, favourite thing to do on a Sunday morning? Oh. How about the thing I can't say on camera? Um, yeah, Favourite thing, thing to do on a Sunday morning is uh, is just to wake up and and, uh, and and have a fantastic Sunday. Good on you. And what's the longest run you've ever done, mate? Uh, I'm not built for for uh, I'm not built for marathons. I'd love to do a marathon. I've done lots of half marathons. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm six foot, six foot two. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big frame guy. I used to play football, good standard. I used to box a bit, and uh, but running big, big distances isn't made for my uh, frame. But uh, I, I do all right for my size, and uh, I run, I run three to five miles a day, and um, the most I've done is a half marathon. But I find. I find anything more than that really, really tough. But I do. I love running, and uh, it's something that I've done for probably thirty-five sort of um, thirty-five years now, and really? wow. thousands, thousands of miles. Like if you if you look on my Nike app, uh, you know there's there's just thousands of miles, and I've gone through lots of trainers, and um, it's something that I really enjoy. That uh, it, it's every now and then I'll have a little little dip, and uh, it might be an injury, or it might just be feel the need to eat lots of food for for a few months but uh but i always go back to running and um yeah it, it it's a, it's an absolute love of mine not when i'm doing it but the bus after um, nice. absolutely yeah. absolutely love it that's a good way to look at it isn't it because i'll tell you what, i've just recently got into running back into kind of running and i wouldn't always say i enjoy it when i'm doing it i can probably i can probably smash out like five k's I don't know how many, how much that is in miles. I think it's maybe a couple of miles. But it's three. Um, three. It's three. Okay, there yeah. you go. Yeah, left, right, right, left. But it's it is you right. It's that feeling you get afterwards, isn't it? The feeling of accomplishment. The feeling of I put I didn't enjoy that, but I pushed through it. Perseverance, um, and just yeah, it feels good when you sweat when you've been sweating. I think. I did. Um, I was looking at my old times the other day, and uh, I went through a period of about. About six months of doing, uh, I think you do in Australia, you do park run, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Park run sort of started over in the UK, I think. And uh, lots of people, thousand people did it all over the UK. It's basically a 5K timed run. And yeah. uh, I think the fastest one that I ever did was just over 24 minutes. So I was doing like, uh, you know, eight minute, eight minute miles, which again, for somebody my size, uh, you know, and I was just think, obviously, I'll, I'll never ever get close to that again. But I was quite amazed <laughs> that I ever did that in the first place. But yeah, no, I do love running. And uh, to anybody who does, my girlfriend's actually at the moment. She's uh, she's just started uh, doing couch to uh, to five k, 
and she's loving it as well. So um, yeah, if uh, if you're looking for something during the pandemic or something to get into, um, get out and run. It'll it'll free your mind. Sorry, mate, lost you for a second there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. From, from couch to 5K, were you saying that was your missus who did that? Yeah, so so my girlfriend started doing it now. So um, I'm sure the day will come where we'll, uh, which I never ever thought would come, where we'll, we'll be going running together. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah running together, and that'd be an awesome thing to do with your partner, I'm sure. We'll do yeah. it on Valentine's Day on Sunday. That'd be lovely. Oh, lovely done. <laughs> Right, I'll drop your links here in uh, in the comments, which, you know, you've got a various amount of things going on. But if people want to kind of connect with you, get in touch with you, or just learn a bit more about you, mate, where's the best place for them to go and do that? Yeah, so uh, I'd love to hear off anybody. If anybody wants to have a chat or anybody's looking for any advice or just wants to have a chat about anything that we spoke about during the, uh, the hustle, and um, the best thing to do is get hold of me through the extra humongous uh facebook page i guess it's where everybody's engaging and touching base so uh if you look for extra humongous that's about x t r a there's no e on that and then humongous and uh yeah just drop me a message and it'd be a pleasure to uh to talk to you mate and it's been a pleasure to have you on the show on that note thanks for your time Always good to catch up with you and it many years since we had so uh Let's make sure it's not as long next time, eh? Definitely. And uh, I look forward to seeing you face-to-face uh, -face soon, either over there or yeah, over right. here. I'll tell you what, mate. This has been the longest time I've ever been away from home. I'm itching to get back there. So as soon as it's possible, I'll be back there. I'll bring a schooner with me and you can pour a warm one in your Definitely. <laughs> Wait for the to open. See yeah. you later. Take care, buddy. See ya. Bye. Bye.